Okay, good morning, everybody. So I'll say that again. James and Lemetria were uh, fantastic this week, and we had an awesome time uh, Friday and uh, about three quarters of the day yesterday. We just had a super fun time praying and uh, asking God to bring unity to our city. You know, we live in an amazing city, but uh, it's, a, it's slightly divided. And, uh, you know, if you can't look to the church to be the place where people come together, uh, because that's what Christ talks about, then where, where do you look? I mean, that's kind of the mission. So we were thrilled to get together and just worship and pray and read scriptures and believe for God to, uh, to unite this very unique city. Well, today I want to talk about Shawshank Redemption. Anybody ever seen that movie, Shawshank Redemption? Okay, all right, thank you. Um, so a friend of mine, Arnel De La Pena, Arnie, my buddy, is from the Philippines, and he, uh, he sent me this movie. He said, you got to watch it. you got to watch this movie. I'm very excited. So we started watching this movie. This is obviously years ago, and man, I hated that movie. I mean, it was terrible. It was, it was just so brutal, and it was so bad, but I'm so glad I watched it. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things that you, you, you love and you hate all at the same time. I'm, I'm glad I got to the end of the movie because... <laughs> Wow, but it was so much junk to get through. Here's the thing that struck me. The first time the main character, Andy Dufresne, meets the warden, the warden is holding a Bible, right? And he says to the prisoners coming in, he says, I only have one rule in my prison, and that is you never take the Lord's name in vain. That's the only rule you need to know, and everything else is going to fall into place. And he's holding that Bible. And the thing that is crazy about it is the warden wants to run a great prison, right? He wants to, obviously he's holding the Bible, wants to honor God and all of those things. He says, you know, I believe in two things in that first scene. I believe in the Bible and in discipline, okay? But for some reason, the warden misses the main point. Like, he misses the main point about the Bible being a Bible, a book about telling us about love and compassion and all of those things. And here's the thing. We as human beings all suffer that same thing. So we're doing this series called Just Jesus. And that's what Just Jesus is about. We've got to figure out the main point. We can't lose the main point of Jesus. We have to hold on to it in something about human nature that we're all the same. And if you read through this story in the Bible, you'll see it repeatedly. Like the Pharisees, who we're going to talk about in just a second, man, they knew their Bible. Oh my gosh, I've said this before. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. They could just boom. Can anybody here do that? I mean, I can barely get past verse number two. But these guys knew the Bible. But somehow they missed the main point. And it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, you bad Pharisees. That's not the point. The point is, is that we all have a tendency to miss the main point. So this is what today's about. This is what the series is about and just Jesus. And for some reason, Jesus, again, like last week, is poking the Sabbath bear. I, I'm thinking, why is Jesus having all these Sabbath showdowns? I mean, who really cares? It's a day off. It's a day of rest, right, everybody? Why is this such a big deal? But for some reason, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, and the man didn't have a life-threatening you know, disease problem. He wasn't going to die. He could have waited until the next day. But he's, you know, I'm just going to poke this thing. And he's poking it to start a conversation. And that is what really is important. Exodus 31, I mentioned this last week. Look what the Bible says. This is God speaking. Above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all. That's a, Moses is trucking down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. God says, wait a minute. Well, I just want to remind you one thing. You got to keep the Sabbath. Okay. How do you feel about that? Does that make sense to you? 
Are you above all keeping the Sabbath? Abraham Joshua Heschel in his book, Sabbath, famous book, he says, there are few ideas in the world of thought which contain so much spiritual power as the idea of the Sabbath. Is that translating to you? Because I got to be honest with you, it's not translating to me for many, many years. I'm like, what? What does that have to, I mean, day off, it's a day off. But what we're going to talk about today is Jesus is talking about the Sabbath and poking that Sabbath bear because it's his way to change the world. And his way is the most effective way. And this is what he wants us to think about. Sabbath is all about the fact that God is for you, as the Bible says, not against you. That God loves you. That he's looking for a reason to bless you. Not looking for a reason to accuse you, like the Pharisees will see right here. A Sabbath is above all. So let's read our main text. It's in Luke chapter 6. On another Sabbath. Okay. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Let's just pause for a second on that word watch. It's a Greek word there that is used. That means to spy on somebody to look for a reason to accuse. To look for a reason to condemn. They're missing the main point. God is looking for a reason to bless. They're looking for a reason to accuse. Let's continue. To see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Verse 8. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Now look at verse 9. This is really important. We're going to come back to it in a minute. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But, but, but they were filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Everybody, what exactly is the Sabbath? And here's the thing. I want to say two things today. Spend a little time on the first one and a lot of time on the second one. Sabbath is a day of doing good, and it is a way of doing good. It's a day of doing good, but it also is a way of doing good. Verse number nine. Let's just drill into it. Jesus said to them, he's asking them a question. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? What is the main point of the Sabbath? Okay, for me and for many people who are like church people, been in church a long time, the Sabbath is a day of rest, like rest. How complicated could rest be? How powerful could rest be? I mean, I'm all into resting. I'm all into a day off. We established that last week. Vacation, a day off, it's awesome. But above all else, like that's going to be the thing. How much can you get done? Jesus says, is it a day to, is it lawful on this day to do good or is it to do harm? All right, how do you do good while you're resting? Let me show you a picture. How much good? Okay, it's a rest day. How much good is this person doing while he's doing nothing because he's resting? It's blowing my mind. How does this make sense? Everybody, what in the world is the Sabbath? Why does Jesus keep poking the Sabbath bear? Why is it his, why does it just epitomize his way of actually changing the world? What is it about this Sabbath day? All right, so it's a rest day and it is a day of doing good. But what if we've misunderstood rest? Also, what if this Sabbath day is meant, it's like a day in the week, we said last week, that you throw a wrench in the spokes of life that kind of grind our lives up, and you throw a wrench in it to put a stop to it, and then on that day is supposed to spill over to every other day, and 
It means it's the way that God has chosen to change the world. This is what we want to go after today. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, There is nothing better for us than to be joyful and to do good. Now that's the same thing the Bible says about the Sabbath. Same question Jesus asks. He asks this question. Isn't it? Isn't it a day that we do good? Isn't it lawful? He's juxtaposing. You do good. You do evil. What, what, which is it? Of course it's a day. It's a day of going good. Same thing that this says. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than the Sabbath, and there's nothing better than being joyful and doing good. Two things strongly associated with the Sabbath. It is a way of doing good. Notice that Jesus doesn't make a statement. They're making statements. They want to make statements. He asks a question. This is very interesting because this involves Jesus' way of doing things. I notice that I'm really good at making statements about the way things should be. You know what I'm saying? I notice that other people have a tendency to make statements about the way things should be. And if you are like really uh, opposed to my way, if you're way, way on the other side of the table from my way, then I say other things that let you know that you are in the wrong. I make statements. Jesus doesn't make a statement. He asks a question. Now, why does he ask a question? Because when you have questions, and Jesus asks more than 300 questions, everybody. When you ask a question, you're inviting somebody to self-discovery. You think about the prodigal son. The story that is so famous in the Bible, this son who has mistreated his father, his loving father so well. And what is what what does the father do in this story? Does the father say, hey, you're you know, you sinner. Why would you do this terrible thing? Why would you leave? Why would you go? Why would you, you know, wreck your life with riotous living? You know, all that stuff. Why would you do that? He doesn't. He lets him go. He just loves him. And he allows him to discover one day in the pig pen. Oh, my gosh, this isn't working. My life would be so much better. It's self-discovery. You know what, everybody? That's the way human beings learn. We might think that they would learn by saying, you're wrong. Here's the law. This is the way it is. But the most effective way in Christ's way and the Sabbath way is actually to guide people to self-discovery. That's the way human beings function. And in our city and in our world, and a lot of times in the church, we choose another way, no matter what side of the table that you're on. But Jesus is showing us the most effective way. Now, these Pharisees, they are looking to accuse people who are rule breakers. Now, we need to keep the rules, but they're looking to accuse people. They're spying. Remember the spying, the Greek word, the spying, to accuse? Here's the way God is. God is spying out our world, looking to help, not harm, because that's who God is. When we encounter somebody who is a lot different from us or frustrates us, has a different opinion than us, are we looking to catch them doing something good that we can help them with? is, Is that our stance? Because it's Christ's stance and it's the way of the Sabbath. And it's what actually changes the world. So this warden in Shawshank, he had all these rules and he's just touting the Bible, right? At one point he says to the main character, Andy Dufresne, he hands him a Bible, he says, salvation lies within. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, should I tell you what, should I give you the, it's it's been out, what, 20 years, right? (laughs) He digs his way out of the prison by hiding this little tool that he dug through the wall in the Bible. Salvation lies within. What's that? Spoiler alert. alert. Okay. All right. Have you not seen it? Okay. (laughs) Jesus here is revealing the way, his way. This is what's really important about this message that from Luke chapter six. Okay. 
his way that will actually and effectively change the world. Now, listen, listen, we all want to change the world. I've noticed it about people. I mean, maybe we sometimes we get too tired or too hopeless or too depressed or whatever. It's like, oh, I just want to, you know, I just want to go to a cave somewhere. Okay, but when we're not feeling that way, we have an opinion and we're living the way we live because we think it's the best way. We think it's the best way. The, the evil warden from the movie, he wanted to run a great prison and he was doing what he thought was best, except for one thing, he forgot about the main point. He forgot about the main point, which we have the tendency to do. It's interesting that in Romans, which Romans talks a lot about the law and rules and all these things, it then tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you really want somebody to change, be really kind to them. If you really want to see somebody doing, if you really want to see our world change, then start looking not to accuse, but looking to love or looking to be kind. It says this in Hebrews, make sure that nobody misses the grace of God. You really want to change somebody in your life. You really want to change the world. You really want to do things Christ's way. Then make sure nobody misses his grace. Make sure nobody misses his kindness. I find that doesn't come natural to me. Even though I study the Bible all the time, it doesn't come natural to me. I have to fight against it. What comes really natural to me is the warden's way. I'm going to force people into my way of thinking and my way of living. Jesus doesn't do that, doesn't force. He asks a question. He allows for personal discovery. He allows people to come to the knowledge themselves by laying out excellent, excellent questions. Jesus could have gone around, right? He's sinless. He could have gone around and said, wrong, 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 wrong. I mean, if anybody, he could have done that. But you know how Jesus changes the world? He walks around and says, follow me, follow me. It's a path of self-discovery. This is the way of Christ, the most effective way to change the world. I want to say something here. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You meet somebody Meet him for the first time, you meet him for the thousandth time or whatever, and you realize, oh my gosh, they believe something very, very different than me. They behave in a way that I don't think is right. I've got to tell them. I have got to tell them. They don't care how much you know. Has it ever worked? Has it ever worked when you just unload on them? Does that work? So what are you really trying to do? Are you trying to be right or are you trying to be like Jesus? Because Jesus wanted to make a difference in the world. This city, this city so much needs in all of our dividedness, in all of our opinions, we need to come together, Jesus. It's the only way it's going to change this city. It's the only way it's going to change our homes. It's the only way that is going to change our life. Now, I want to go back to the rest idea because uh, I mentioned this last week that I was going to say this, but this has befuddled me for years. Uh, I couldn't understand. How do you get a bunch of stuff resting? I mean... I said, all this good. How am I going to do that? Resting. Look at 3117 of Exodus. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It was the last word that I was missing right there. Like, okay, all right. How does he create all this stuff while he's resting? How do, how do you create things while you're resting? So, so for the first six days... All the verbs in Hebrew in Genesis chapter 1 is very commanding and it's very impersonal. Very commanding. Like, boom, do this. There's no questions being asked. It's like, do it. Okay? 
Jesus, or God, in, in, in this portion of the scripture, very much comes off as a commander, as a general. If anybody's been in the army or has lived in a real strict system of rules, I used to work for UPS. All of my managers were former military, okay? And it was management by humiliation, okay? It was a lot of name calling, a lot of rule breaking, a lot of, I, I loved it, right? Because I'm just, was, I'm, competitive, I'm a competitive person. But, but um, it, you know, it created a little bit of a difficult environment. And the best military leaders know that actually how you get unit cohesion is through love. It's through love. The best leaders know that. And so what you see in Genesis chapter 1, there's all these commands. There's no, there's no question. And all of a sudden, all the verbs start changing. They become very personal. They become very compassionate. And then it's out of that. And then in Genesis chapter 2, what do you see? God is, hey, Adam, come here. Let me bring all these animals to you. And let me have, let's have some self-discovery. When you end Genesis chapter 1, after all the commands, everything is dead, dry, and divided. Just like our city. How do you get it to change, to be filled with life? How do you get your life to change? It's through love. It's through kindness. And that's what we're introduced to in Genesis chapter 2. So it says he rested. That's a Hebrew word, means it's called nefesh. We interpret it soul a lot. You know what a soul means in Hebrew, Nefesh? It means to become your true essence. So God is commanding. He's ruling. There's no question. Just do it. And then he rests from that to become his true essence, to become love and kindness. That's why the Bible says that God is, God is love. God is compassion. God is kindness. And this is how we change, this is how we change the world. You know what's also interesting? It says, the sign forever that you're a follower of God is that you keep the Sabbath. And Jesus says, the sign forever that everybody will know that you're my followers is that you love one another. Sabbath is a way to change the world. And that way is through love, mercy, grace, kindness, and compassion. Rules matter a whole lot. You have to have rules. But if you don't have rules rooted in love, what you have is the Shawshank prison. But what happens in a city and with a church where you have rules rooted in love and compassion and mercy and grace, it changes the way that you begin to share the rules. That's what happens. And that's why Jesus keeps poking the Sabbath bear because he wants us to understand that very much. The Sabbath is a day of doing good, but it is also a way of doing good. Let me wrap up by saying this in Luke chapter six. Jesus says in Luke six, says, you know what? You can do good to people who do good to you. That's no, that's easy. That's an easy, that's a easy thing to do. Here instead is what I need you to do. I need you in Luke six twenty seven. I need you to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Well, <laughs> Time out. I don't know about you, but I'm not doing really good at that. But that's his way. Because he's saying that if you begin to do that, if you begin to love and show kindness, rather than looking to accuse somebody, rather looking to help them, not harm them, that's how you will change the world. And that is how you will change your life. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen to what he says later on in Luke. In the context of blessing those who are different from us, he says this. Show compassion just as your father shows compassion. Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and it will be forgiven. Give and you will receive gifts. The full measure compacted, shaken together and overflowing is going to be put into your lap for the measure with which you measure out will be used to measure back to you. It is a way of doing good and it is the most effective way of doing good. I want to land the plane here.
I, uh, about 10, 15 years ago, uh, decided that I was going to start studying the great humanitarian movements throughout history, the ones that made a huge difference. I studied Nelson Mandela. How did that change happen? I studied the civil rights movement. I studied the abolitionist movement, and I studied other movements, other movements as well. And I began to learn this, is that all of them followed the ways of Jesus Christ. The most effective humanitarian movements in the world historically, bottom line, were founded in the way of Christ, not in the way of force, but in the way of love. If you really want to be effective, if you truly want to be effective at changing your life, if you really want to see your world or your slice of the world change, then you have to follow Christ's ways because it's most effective. I feel like the most effective way is if I act like the Shawshank Warden and I make everybody do what I want them to do. But actually, that doesn't work. Rules are really, really important, but they have to be rooted in love. And that's what works. And so then I read this book, The Power Paradox. And in this Power Paradox by this social scientist named Dr. Keltner, he says that non-violent, non-coercive power ways are t- more than twice effective than the ways of, you know, that we usually are used to doing things by using force. Look what he says here. He says, quote, coercive force is a more likely path to powerlessness than to gains in power. Do you see that? That's Christ's way. He's not forcing us. He's not forcing the prodigal son. He's asking a question to the Pharisees. Look at this one. Power is about making a difference in the world. What he summed up is, is if you're looking rather than to spy on somebody to say, let me see what you're doing wrong so I can point you out or get mad at you or frustrated you or just hit you up on social media and tell you how stupid you are. Instead, he says, if you're like Jesus and you're spying out to find somebody, find some good and to bless them for it or to be kind, that is actually the way that you change the world. And I find myself and the story of the Bible is we find ourselves in a position like the Pharisees most of the time, looking to catch somebody in the wrong, not like Jesus looking to catch somebody in the right so we can bless them. It's a huge difference. Our way will be non-effective. Jesus's way is proven to be the most effective way. Last scripture, Psalm 37, three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do I really trust God enough to do good? So when I see somebody who believes or behaves or na la 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 or whatever, all those other things, right? I find that I don't want to do them good. I want to do them harm. I want to point it out. And the problem is, the reason I do that is because I don't trust in God enough. Because if I had enough trust in God, I would believe that it's kindness that leads to repentance. It's grace, it's mercy, it's compassion that actually works. But that is so against everybody. If you want to know if the Bible, like, oh man, can I really trust the Bible? Is the Bible really true? What human being would have written that? What human being would have come up with that effective way to change the world? Do you know of any? It wouldn't have happened. Because Christ's way is the most effective way. I'm going to end with this story. I, um, in my seminary I was in, they sent all of us seminarians out to visit five different churches. And uh, we had to come back and like a newspaper reporter, we had to write on our findings. You know what the number one finding was? That when we visited a church as a, as a guest, we were unwelcome to be there. Everybody said, nobody smiled. Nobody reached out and said, hey, oh, can I help you? Or let me find a seat. I'm so glad you're here. Just a smile. Just a smile. A couple months ago, 
I noticed there was an older couple sitting on the bench outside. And I noticed they sat there for a very long time, like 45 minutes. They were sitting there. And one of the greeters came to me later and says, you know, that couple was from a different state. And they were sitting on that bench. They came and told us that they'd never seen anything like it. The greeters were just smiling, happy that people were coming to church. And in turn, everybody coming to grace was smiling. They said, we've never seen anything like this. You know, you know what, you know what brings healing according to the greatest uh, trauma experts and we all suffer trauma. It's that you show true joy that somebody knows that you genuinely for them, not against them. Kind of like God in the book of Romans. And this heals us very much. Everybody, our city is very divided. Our homes are very divided. Our lives are having all kinds of problems. You have to have rules. You have to have boundaries. But they all need to be rooted in the main point. And the main point is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that you have given us the path to transformation, that you showed us the way in a divided city about how we can genuinely and effectively, in the name of Jesus Christ, make a difference. Now, it's really hard for all of us, God, because we're just wired a different way. But give us strength, give us wisdom, and help us to follow your way. In Christ's name, amen.